The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the RoboCop edition. Today, we're talking RoboCop 2. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, as always, the man trying to screw his head back on, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to him, Tom. And now, a word on nutrition. (laughs) I kind of wish uh, Peter Weller wasn't as adept at doing the snowflake robocop yeah because it's so offensive you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's so right wing uh to poke fun but he does it so well but it's, it's so really good funny. he's so funny he's really funny thank you for not smoking yeah <laughs> um and it does all the good <laughs> they've done so much good work in like de-racializing the looting mm-hmm. like being done by a couple of by like a scout troop yeah like no uh little boss. leaguers little sorry yes little leaguers uh yeah. all white little leaguers and i was like oh that's such a that's such a subversive thing to do and but it comes at the expense of having to like poke fun at progressives <laughs> right because <laughs> this then you know the, this, i'm okay uh, with that is, I'm a, yeah, I guess I guess you know why why should anyone um, be spared? Right. Why should any political? But uh, coming from that perspective, I was a little bit. Mm, I don't I don't like the way this. I don't like the tone of this. But it's really funny, and Peter Weller does it fantastically well. I love it when he's got. <laughs> I think it's the coach, right? The coach is dead. And he's holding yes. him and pointing at him, telling, reading him Miranda. Yeah, reading the Mar- Mar- Miranda rights, exactly. uh, which is that's where it gets cut. That's where it, it's sort of, you know, it, it. I feel terrible because you know the Miranda rights are such an important thing, and I guess the way history has gone since, mm-hmm. that you know, police circumventing um, all laws. You know, circumventing civil rights laws that yeah. it doesn't feel as funny right even though it absolutely is hilarious in the way it's done well ladies and gentlemen we're talking robocop 2 a 1990 sequel directed by you know Irvin Kirshner director of the empire strikes back and never say never again and who according to this movie is uh, about to be executed on death row <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the, he's the first. He's the first he's the criminal first image of the death row inmates right. that the scientist is checking out. Love that. Yes, and you know, you know what? Even if I didn't know what Irvin Kirshner looked like, I would have known that was. Irvin you would have just assumed, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I was like, I was like, okay, what does Irvin Kirshner look like in my head? That guy. I just imagine <laughs> that mugshot, and then. Imagining the person of that mugshot saying, "You're gonna give me all your money, or I'm gonna <laughs> rape and murder you." 
I, I I love you. I love you doing that impersonation. I love the fact that now it, it's it's gone on a Marvin the Martian. Yes, it's on a trajectory. You're right. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, RoboCop two. I mean, low Tom. Twenty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a bit better than. That. I think it's a bit better than that. Uh, I, this, you know, I think people don't want to admit that they enjoyed this film. I'm trying to think back because it's so it's so venal and I I think I'm know. trying to I'm trying to think back to the narrative at the time because this is one of the you know right in the wheelhouse of Mike working at the movie theater when this movie comes out you know we definitely don't have a jingle for that no we need we need <laughs> to, we need a, a musically inclined person to get some we need jingles a Howard Stern style soundboard yes yeah. we do yeah. And oh my. <laughs> I could it could just be oh my memories. <laughs> and I remember you know I I I remember people being disappointed in this movie. You now, shocked me. <laughs> yeah, but that you know it's funny because you and I are on a journey. Yeah. With this podcast, you know, I there's this this thing that people want. What they what they want is something as good as the original. So they basically want to see, you know, I think movie fandom generally Mm. wants to see that movie almost exactly the same again. Preach, preach. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I both know that one, they a sequel shouldn't do that. No. Nor will it. Nor will Luckily. it. Ever. <laughs> Luckily, it's yeah, never exactly. Happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you know, so you have for, to come to terms with the two things, right? You have. Yeah. To, right. Yeah. And and most most filmgoers don't have that in their mindset in the way that we do. Yeah. And so to see a movie take a turn like this movie does, I think both of us agree. You have to admire it on that level. It can be enjoyable, but you do have to run with it. Yeah. Um but I mean let's not let's let's not pretend that in terms of artfulness this movie achieves what RoboCop. Is, no, yeah, right? exactly. I mean, that's the bit you, you you know, you can't you can't argue against that. I think it's just an acknowledgement that if if you run with the silliness, you can have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, and occasionally something will come along, which is genuinely subversive and interesting. Right. But but don't count on it. And certainly not for the entirety of the movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this movie feels, you know, it's like they say you're minutes away from, you know, you're never more than two feet away from a rat in New York. It's like you're never more right. than a two two feet away from but something that's stupid happening in this film. Something stupid happening in this film. But what's interesting is I feel like this movie doesn't feel like a RoboCop movie exactly, but it no. feels two feet away from a RoboCop movie. Yeah. And in that way, I think it's interesting and satisfying. Uh, yes. Because you get something different well, out of it. I you know do. what I mean? 
I think so. It, I, th I think I think that's the difference. I think yeah. it feels adjacent to a RoboCop movie, yeah. which is disappointing to a lot of people. But for me, it's what I like about the movie because something different is going on within it. And it's a different way of handling the same storyline and theme, themes yeah, and characters. Right. Because it, we're we we're sort of we're we're not reinventing the wheel in terms of the story we're telling. It, it is just the story of RoboCop having to fuck through. with Omnicorp. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, the same story through, three times in a through, row. You know, the mangle one more time, except, yeah. you know, something's stuck in the mangle this time. Right. And everyone's hallucinating shit. I mean, that's not... And this movie... Like... <laughs> well, I was going to say this movie feels very connected to the first movie in the sense of you know, the first movie, we talked a little bit like Ronnie Cox. It inherits a lot. From yeah, it inherits a lot about yeah. the corporation working with the bad people, <laughs> working with the gang. Yeah. And and one, yet, one it of, still feels different in this I'll movie. One of the defend this movie is that it takes aspects from the first movie that work really well, and it runs with them in their own way and makes them work in a different That's way. That's the thing, is that, they, yeah, they do take it in a different... They do it their own thing with it. Yeah. Um... You know, because what, what's funny is in the, you know, I think I kind of spoke to this a little bit with Connell Cochran. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm just going to call him Connell Cochran. Do you know what he's actually called in this film? Uh, he is old man. He's just the old man. Yeah. So the, the like the, the, the hierarchy of, <laughs> of OCP, Omnicorp. Of Omnicorp is a is a duo. One is called Old Man. The other one is called Johnson. That's yeah. two different slang words for penis. <laughs> <laughs> Running this company. <laughs> oh, hey, that's good up. stuff. <laughs> well, it can't be an accident. Not for this film. Right. Not for this film. <laughs> Shit! I think I lost my point. I, oh, I'm sorry. I, I kind of spoke to this idea. I think in our ranking episode, in which. Connell Cochran in this movie, in the la in the first movie, he's sort of unaware, right? He doesn't yeah, know what Ronnie Cox innocent... is doing. That's definitely not the case in this. And that's not the case here. No. But it's he, 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 but everything he's... he's doing is just to have like a piece of ass in his life. But I think it's kind of cool because, you know, as we know from from the way from you know, Sorry, corporate. that's the description they would have said in this movie. Not what should yeah, no, be said. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. <laughs> Everything we've learned about corporations and the way that they've run since this film right. make it very clear that, you know, when, when CEOs turn a blind eye, they do it deliberately so. Yeah. So they, you know, so they're not legally culpable. And that's what Connell Cochran slash the old man is doing in this film. But what's he's, interesting he's to me... He's turning a blind eye to what's going on in his company. Yes, but also it seems way, like... A more interesting, a more interesting subversive take than in the first film where yeah, I agree right. with you. He's just... That's he's true. Just this, he's just, you know, an old man past his best who is blissfully unaware of what's going on. But Here, there's something he else... Going on. He chooses Yeah, exactly. Because he... If there, it does seem like... What it, what's the character's name? Is it Juliet Fox? Yes. Uh, I don't I know, but carry on. So what? whatever it is she wants to do, 
Bauer. He's a, Belinda Bauer. Oh no, that's Juliet the Fax, that's yeah. the actor, I think. That's the actress. Yeah. Wow, she has an even more sci-fi name in real life than her character. Is it Fox okay. or Fax? Fax. Fax. You know, yeah. like fax machines. Yes, double X. <laughs> they should have put a third X on that. Uh, That's the porn star version. Yeah. But what? So whatever she's doing, he's on board for because he gets to see her naked. <laughs> Yeah. But also it does seem as though that's where he wants the company to go. Yeah, right. You know? So he is Absolutely. He's yeah. culpable, but he's got his scapegoat. And you know, I I'm I'm sure because of the lack of uh the lack of connection between this and the next movie. I'm sure this is an accident, but his plan that he comes up with at the end of RoboCop 2 <laughs> is what is instituted in RoboCop 3. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know in my heart of hearts, I know that was an accident, but it looks really good on screen. It looks like <laughs> it looks like continuity. It I know does. it's absolutely yeah. not. It's a total accident. But what they pro- basically they show the what they propose at the end of two. Built yes. Is what has, is what is in the middle of being built. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Good times. Total accident. I bet they forgot they even had that scale model. Right. Uh, I have a note here. Does this movie open with no title? We never. We don't even. Yeah, I mean, we kind of have a cold well. open, but yeah. we don't because we never see the title. And this is this is a brilliant cold open. Oh yeah, I love it. I mean, give me John Glover all the time. I say. I fall, well, I fall for it every time. Right? It's Do that you? good. Yeah, because it's everything about the music and the images is telling us this is a teaser from a police drama, which yeah. is what RoboCop is. Right. So every time I'm lured into thinking it's just the film beginning. And RoboCop's going to show up and thwart this yeah. crime. And the joke's on us because it's a TV ad pastiche and a very good one. Yeah. Um, and then we go straight into, and this is the you know the first aspect of the film that is inherited, is the hybrid TV movie footage where we we watch the media break show with all the commercial interruptions. So you're essentially watching what you would see on a TV screen, which mm-hmm. came from the original Robocops, one of the master strokes of that film. Sure. Um, but they've kind of, you know, like I said, they've run with it. They've exaggerated it even more because that's the first scene of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and it, and it fakes you out into believing it, it, it the film has started when in fact it's we're just watching a tv show with, <laughs> with commercials and of course it's a great exposition device you know um and i think the early i mean speak you know we talked a little bit about larry sanders because of rip torn but yeah the early 90s was so great at this kind of media pastiche like they, they really they pull out all the stops to make it look like the real thing yeah and um I think it's done fantastically well here. And again, you, the sense that it's not... This dystopia is just our everyday reality. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah, I could imagine the Surgeon General being assassinated. Uh, I imagine sure. something like that happened. You know, Fauci getting, you know, a bullet in the chest at some by some Trumper. Easy, easily happen in our reality. Absolutely. <laughs> Sadly. I know, he's, I know he's not the Surgeon General. I just did it because he's a right-wing target. Anyway. Um, so that normalized chaos, how sad you which, felt like you had to explain that 
Um, that kind of normalized chaos that that media break presents. Mm-hmm. It feels totally authentic to the reality we live in. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, I mean, kind of like you were just saying, I have a note here that we're resetting to a more dire city. Yes. Things have got worse in Detroit. So, also borne out by uh, by future history. Right. Some, somehow <laughs> things got worse, despite the fact that we have RoboCop on our side. Well, there you go. There's your first Irving Kirshner. Yeah. It's like Empire Strikes Back. Everything's everything. Everything's dire. Everything was better, but it's got worse. <laughs> yeah, there's a police strike on, uh, which again vividly. Which I don't understand because clearly not all the no. cops are on strike. <laughs> Robocop's not on strike. No Robo's not on strike. I mean, Nancy Allen's not on strike. The people you, at the desk I... are not on strike. The sergeant's not on strike. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you know about emergency services going on strike, but you got to keep something running, right? <laughs> um, and I always just assumed that RoboCop, like, well, RoboCop's not in the union. That I get. So, so Lewis is loyal. I know it's like Lewis is loyal to a partner rather than than the union. Um, I just think it's. It, I mean, it vividly anticipates the labor situation we currently find ourselves in, where private you know mm-hmm. union, the power of police unions and also private companies over yeah. um over law enforcement well and that's another thing that i think these movies have as a tick sort of in the plus column is this idea of corporatizing everything yeah they were so ahead of the game they on were that. so ahead of the game on that you yeah. know and because they, we will, you know, it must have. That, it's that weird thing where in the late in the late eighties, early nineties, it must have felt like that was what was happening. Yeah, but when you look at it in comparison to now, it was like a utopia of public mm-hmm. services, like being being like state controlled rather than. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like now we're seeing what the reality of that. Yeah. So it's not sci-fi anymore. It's and just, so, because you, you can draw parallels between. The, the corporatization of even prisons. Yeah. And even Completely. local prisons or local jails because there's, you know, there's lots of judges that are now being found out that there's sending, say, minors away to... Yeah. Uh, whatever, teen reformation, you know, whatever the centers yeah. they go to. But they're giving them extravagant amounts of years because they get more money the more times that right. the corporate, you know, this, this, and that. Tight. And these movies absolutely. speak to that in a in a major 100%. way. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's eerily prescient, um, mm-hmm. as we said before. And I think it actually gets more specific as the film goes on. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, to the point where it's almost like setting. It's you almost wonder whether there's a kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy about it because mm-hmm. everything to do with the Detroit mayor in this film. Oh feels yeah, like everything that's happened with like democratic, uh, East Coast democratic um, public officials from East Coast cities, like all the way through to Chris Christie. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like this is the prototype for the corrupt politician. Well, not just because there's kind of a city. There was actually isn't there actually a mayor from Detroit who was yeah thrown out of office for I yeah. forget what it was but I want to say taking more, bribes all over the all over yeah. the map yeah 
uh, almost gets to the point where you're like they're they're setting people they're setting the public's expectations for the next thirty years of police yeah. p- political corruption. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny it's too weird. because this yeah. movie's 1990, and so we're several years away from the Schumacher Batman's. But did you see neon graffiti and think maybe he took a note? <laughs> here's my here's my note. Here's my note. Homelessness, addiction, crime, prostitution. Apart from the day glow, none of this feels even remotely extreme. <laughs> Only the style is dated, not the content. Right. Uh, it's like you go even to like downtown San Diego. This is what you'll find. Mm-hmm. This kind of world. Um, and then something which I really liked was the the dystopian riff on the uh, old lady with cans. Yeah, because that reminded like, uh, me of Speed. Speed and uh, French Connection. Yeah. Which is, and you know, they're all like the police, it's all the police genre, right? It's, it's exactly what this movie should be doing. Right. And then we get like a, a Superman 3 style chain of slapstick. That's what crime. I put. I put comedic one ups. Yeah, a comedic one ups. This, this slapstick chain of robberies. Yes. Uh, and, and so at this point, you know, I really needed, I really wanted to have just watched RoboCop because uh, saying this is a sla- slapstick dimension that possibly wasn't there in the original, right? Or possibly wasn't as heightened. <laughs> yes, because it comes in hot. Oh, so hot! And then, and then the the other, uh, there's a sound note I have here, which is uh, I think borne out by the rest of the film. How weirdly old timey this score is. Oh, that's like, interesting. First of all, it's someone we know very well, Leonard Roseman. You know. Uh, <laughs> no, you know him. I'm sure you know I will remember from... once you say it, but I don't have those names uh, committed to memory. A little movie called Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Okay. A little movie called Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Perfect. And a less little movie called Star Trek for the Voyage Home. <laughs> Perfect. Elements of all of which you can hear in the score for this film. Mixed with the Richard Lester t- style opening. Well, but it's so interesting that, like, you know, it feels a little bit like classical and orchestral for a sci-fi, dystopian uh-huh. sci-fi movie. But when they, when when the chain of robberies is happening, Leonard Roseman's really plug in West Side Story. It's like sounds like the beginning with the sharks and the jets. Like so the just, yeah, which again, sort of like it, it, it's sort of it un like the con everything you're seeing in the content is um, realism, right? It's like yeah. gritty realism, but everything well, you're hearing, I mean, everything you're hearing and seeing is contradicting that gritty realism. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there's zero nuance in the way that these looters are represented. One of them looks like Saddam Hussein from Hot Shots Part Deux. I My note was, there's a lot of disposable minorities going on here. Yes, yes. And that bazooka looks like it came straight out of a Batman 66. Yeah, episode. absolutely. Yes. If, if, if Acme was written on that bazooka, I would be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, that's good times. And, th- and it's in this sequence we get the, the re-entrance of RoboCop. After getting um, blown up twice. 
we've got to go through the motions of uh, the outfit, mm-hmm. gun, which is now different. Famous, <laughs> as you said, and he's blue, and, and he's, he's blue now. Blue, he's blue now. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great in the Rise of Skywalker. Just a bunch of blue stormtroopers coming in. They're right. blue now. They're blue now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I was enjoying this movie so much, I probably missed a lot. They never sit down and say, "Hey, we're cha- we're we're, re- we're respraying RoboCop at any point nope. to make him blue, right?" Okay, nope. <laughs> it's an entirely aesthetic choice. It's never, it's never like we have a new coat of of bulletproof yeah. sheen on you, or you know, there's no, there's no explanation. That's hilarious, and so. You know, he's recognizably Robocop with all the Robocop moves, but we're immediately sure. starting to comicalize him. Because he instantly goes into a Three Stooges bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, you know, he, like the punch <laughs> through the door is something that Stan Laurel would have come up with in a, in a <laughs> right. Laurel and Hardy movie. <laughs> so it's like he, he seems to be doing only physical comedy. Um... The other bit of reintroduction we get is the prime directives, right? Uh, they they mm-hmm. give us an excuse to go over what his prime directives are to recap that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to believe that all that is periodically on his screen. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. how often does he need to refer back to that? <laughs> you think it was like you think it would be in, innate right? at this point for him? Yeah, you know, like the, those old. You realize old, it's uh, just for us. All those old computer consoles that have games built into the hardware. Mm-hmm. That's how I think of his prime directors. I don't think he has to keep checking them. <laughs> like it's a shopping list, you know? <laughs> it's as though if he's walking down the street and he thinks to himself, you know what I'd like to do? Murder some of the public. Hey, wait a <laughs> second. I have to that protect the public. The, but that is how kind of the film portrays I know. He needs to keep checking these prime directors as if as if them being prime directors doesn't mean that he knows them. <laughs> because he's a robot. <laughs> and then, you know, it's funny cuz I well, I mean, do you have more to say about that see the you know, this opening kind of salvo? The drug sweatshop? Yeah. Populated entirely by people of color mm-hmm. and babies. Um, it's just just, i mean it it just sets up it it's it's uh it's a tableau of the lack of nuance right yeah right in in this setup um i guess the well there's also the fact that because we know that the and you've alluded to this since we know that the police are on strike robocop is reintroduced to us as a scab (laughs) (laughs) and far from being an irrelevant detail this points to the fact that you know our hero is is a union breaker (laughs) as the movie the way that the movie turns he's a strike breaker right strike breaker yeah he's crossing the picket line he's our strike breaking hero which makes total sense you know eight eight years of reagan we're going through another four of bush Mm -hmm. it makes sense that you know the hero of the time would be anti-union, right? And he cut yeah, and um, I guess as part of the prime directives, Robocop figures out he can't shoot a kid, right? Uh, so, like you say, <laughs> you think this would be something that'd be ingrained by now, but he has to periodically 
check his his limitations. Um, and I guess you know it's I mean it it's it's clunky and it it doesn't make sense in an it doesn't make sense in the sense that what RoboCop does every day you know every minute of his life. But it's all for our benefit, as you, I think, as you said, it's like this is all for us. Yeah, this is just reintroducing the emotion, emotional, philosophical, and character dynamics of RoboCop. Of RoboCop himself. Yeah, and uh, it's his, to it's your his point of Ashi Maru, basically. Yeah, it? right. <laughs> but it's funny to me too that within the midst of of how clunkily it's all happening, I think they think that they're being quite slick because they're showing yeah. things like ricochet shots off of doors steel doors yeah. and sh- shit like that and they think that that's enough for the audience I th- i'm pretty sure that's what they think they're doing within this yeah. scene you know yeah but what stays with you is the is the slapstick right yeah it's, right it's, exactly it's like, it's like that this is a scene almost almost entirely as you said the richard lester level physical comedy because mm-hmm. i also uh, got very I... you know it's like richard lester mixed with scarface Right, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's 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 you know two different extremes, extremes yeah. of comedy and extremes of ultraviolence. Yeah, absolutely, it's a very strange mix. Um, and after the sequence, we go into uh, Murphy stalking his family. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and um, he remembers himself looking in the mirror, although it's not explained why he's looking at himself so intently in the mirror when right. he was human. <laughs> Is that a pimple? Um, exactly, yes. <laughs> and it's, a, you know, this, this the scene that, you know, he's sort of caught stalking his family and he has to go in for like an interview, you know, he has to be interviewed... And they have to gauge where he is with his humanity. Yes. <laughs> Which, again, I didn't rewatch RoboCop, but I don't think it's what the end of RoboCop tells us he thinks about his humanity is where he is. In well, the scene. I think I think at the end of RoboCop, you consider yourself human, right? Because I think at the end of RoboCop, the last thing he says, you know, Connell Cochran asks him what's his name is, and he says Murphy. So. Right. It, he he's identifying as human yeah. more than robot, and then they're and so the, yeah they're doing that this thing in this movie in which they're saying bit. you can't be that and leave yeah. her alone. And I and also you, you right. know what one of my notes is I think it's a really good piece of acting from Peter Weller there. Oh, it's a fantastic piece of work. Piece yeah, piece of acting. Well, this is what I have like there's a there's a there's a level in which that writes them into a corner. And they have to sort of write themselves out of it a little bit with this with this scene, but mm-hmm. given that they're doing that, it, I wouldn't call go as far as saying it's a retcon because he's clearly he's clearly doing that under duress and blackmail, right? He's yeah. They're saying you know he's doing it for the sake of his family, and he's doing it under duress. Um. So. I think both things are going on, but I actually think this is a moment where the writing is kind of on point. In I think... In terms of combining both. Until the wife comes back. Into okay, the thank you. And she that's... immediately contradicts everything that we've just been talking about. All right. Because that's what, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say I disagree with you because the wife comes in 
and wipes up until that point i'm with i'm with it he's like he's, yeah. he's doesn't really think this but he's saying this because he's trying to spare his family because he's and right. because these people are shouting at him to say it right, right. He, you know Absolutely. and then his wife comes in and it get uh, she immediately uh, what everyone feels about the situation suddenly is completely unclear. well and the other interesting thing to me is you know the wife comes in and so we have this scene and all of a sudden it turns on a dime and he's saying, you should forget me. A, they just explained that, you know, he's terrorizing her. Yeah. Why would she want to come see him? Why would they leave the two of them alone? Mm-hmm. Then he then he turns her away, uh, basically just saying, I'm just a robot. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Get, get out of here. Get, get out of my life. Yeah. And then, of course, that story never comes back again. Yeah. Except there's also, because he sees that, you know, the murderous child. Right. For a half a second when he first saw that murderous child, they show us his child in his sort of memory bank. And for a half a second, I thought it was his kid. (laughs) That would have been an even more extreme choice. Yeah. than Than they made. Yeah, I, I, it's there's just a sense of like we we wrote ourselves into a corner. Plus, we've got to resolve this dramatic through line of the family. Yes, and but let's, we're going to solve it right and, now. We've got to solve it'll it. It'll be right over now in the first scene. fifteen minutes of the yeah. movie. So maybe it's just a case. It's just a case of them going overboard in trying to undo this, mm-hmm. and that's what what because because you could have left it without the wife coming in, and it would have still made sense. Yeah, right. Once she comes in, first of all, she's not saying what you're expecting her to say based on what we've just been told. Exactly. <laughs> He's not reacting in the way we expect him react based on what we know is going on with him. Yeah. But I mean, there is also there is also the issue that this this movie looks like it's it's uh, stitched together from a number of different drafts, and I think yeah, that's I'll, yeah, I agree by, with that. That's borne out by the production history, right? There was a, it went through a lot of rewrites before it got to where we are. I and think maybe that's, that's right. Just that's just one of the moments where the where the the stitches are showing. Yeah. Okay. They haven't been taken out yet. Well, I think we got further than we usually do. Oh yeah. We're past yeah, the credits. We're we're well into the second scene of the film. All right, let's take a and break, about, and then we'll come we're back. We're about to re-meet the penis duo. <laughs> penis, 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 penis song. All right, but Ronnie Co- Ronnie Cox left such a, a big a big hole. He needs two two yes. villains to fill the gap. Yep. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back and discuss it. Right after this, everyone. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2AT Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2AT Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. 
You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 1990 sequel directed by Irvin Kirshner. You know him, you love him. It's RoboCop 2. Uh, Tom, we didn't discuss this in uh, Numbers Corner. Budget of $25 million for this movie. Okay. Opening weekend, 14.1. In the USA and the world, 45.6 million. So, you know, made a little bit of money. Yeah, and uh, you see the budget on screen. I think in the scene we just talked about, some of the detail on the head going into the robot brain is just astounding. Yeah. Uh, that's such an amazing animatronic that they've uh, concocted of the of the Robocop without his helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to tell you, when I watch these movies... and spectacular, which is exactly what you want. Yeah, when I watch these movies, and I... Especially the first one and the second one, and I see Peter Weller's face on the front of that thing, mm. there is a part of me that always is thinking, how did they do that? What is oh, going absolutely. on? Where's it... Where's yeah. the fake start? Where's the... I mean, it looks really amazing. It does. It does. Um, yeah. Now you um, you wanted to talk about penises, I think I recall. Oh, speak, speaking of amazing effects, well, I don't know if they are amazing. <laughs> I don't know if they are amazing effects, but they make me laugh a lot. If 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 the if the intent is to amuse, it's okay. The sequence in which, which is a a, a, a video montage of the various Robocop twos, of the Robocop twos. First of all. Just you know, that they have pop- RoboCop 2, so they get the title in there, I think is I have that too, yeah. Not amazing. many part 2s can find a way to get titles into the dialogue. Yeah. But this movie does it twice. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I am the same, I have the same exact note as you do. I wrote down, if, if, this, is, is the, if this is supposed to make me laugh, good on you, I wrote. Because <laughs> it, uh, that's exactly point- what it's doing. It's the point at which it's like a Ray, like the the one of the RoboCops has taken everything off, so he's just a Ray Harryhausen skeleton, and he shoots himself in the head. Yeah, it's like a piece of comedy so good. There's a there's a version of it in the Simpsons movie, with the with the, mm-hmm. b- the bomb disposal robot who commits a red wire, blue wire, too much, and then blows himself. And Chief Wiggum says, "Well, he talked about it, but I didn't think he was serious." Um, <laughs> and this this. I, I like it on that level. It's just funny seeing that skeleton shoot himself in the head. Well, and I um, also like that, you know, one of the scientists is standing next to him gets shot. And then the next scene, that same person's there, but really, in a sling. Makes... But I, f- I feel like it's a very meta sequence as well. Not least because they say RoboCop 2. Out there, yeah, right. I mean, of that, course. That, there's your first clue. Um <laughs> But this feels like a mirror to pre-production, right? Like, what what is Ro- what is RoboCop two gonna be? Mm-hmm. You know, this feels like the the sort of the 
the in-world version of all the various sketches and drawings of what Robocop's going to be and people sort of, you know, like scribbling over it and just yeah. saying, no, that's shit and throwing it away. So I like it on that level too. And it's just, I think it's where the cartoonish comedy lands the best. It's like a real life Looney Tunes episode. Yes, right. And, um, but there's tons of meta commentary because they say, you know, it's unusual, but Robocop is unusual, but not unique. Which is like saying, you know, essentially, uh, there's only one Robocop, but that doesn't mean we can't build a franchise around it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that's saying. Yeah. So uh, it's one of the high points of the film for me. I think it's. I think. It's oh, great. I loved and, it. You know, Phil Tippett is in charge, and there, you know, he he's obviously some of the. And at this point, he's not motion. dealing with the Jurassic Park quite yet. <laughs> yeah, like some of the wit of the. I think you know the, some of the stop motion. One of the things I like about it as an animation process is that you're able to do wit and comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you think about Wallace and Gromit and that kind of stuff. Uh, it lends itself to to the comedic really well, and I think Phil Tippett in the sequence takes full advantage full advantage of it. Absolutely, and it makes me laugh every single time I see it. And again, not something that you will normally find in in uh, uh, a movie. Never mind a sequel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> funny? <laughs> what also and also, also like the uh, is it is it earlier on in this film where the first. Uh, where do we is it in this yeah the first stop motion we see is Mm -hmm. a robotic police officer that doesn't work yeah so there's a kind of an interesting sort of anti-technology mixed with the imperfect special effects that speaks to the storyline quite yeah yeah (laughs) like they're having trouble they're having trouble designing a new robocop uh, (laughs) off screen and on screen I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> Put the production process on screen. Now, one of the things that I think it kind of, well, listen, each movie is its own movie and should be, you know, judged upon its merits. But in the comparison sure. to the first movie, you know, it's funny that the first movie and the third movie have these deep, deep benches of character actors. In both You're going to talk about the mayor now, aren't you? Well, no, I, I mean, I just, I think it's, A, in terms, I forgot that, like, these movies uh, feature Lisa Gibbons. <laughs> yes. I think that, I thought that was funny. But one of the differences between this movie and its predecessor, to me, is within the gang. I mean, obviously you have Tom Noonan, but then that's about it. Right. You know, the first movie... You're dealing with Kurtwood Smith, who we all know and love, if you know character actors. But you've got Ray Smith. You've got, you know, Paul McCrane. You've got... Right. Um, on the cop side, you've got Miguel Ferrer. So, I mean, you know, mm. there's there's lots to enjoy in that first movie beyond... And, you know, to say nothing of Ronnie Cox. I mean, you have Ronnie Cox and Connell Cochran, Dan O'Hurley. Yeah. So, I mean... And not Jordan Peele. And not Jordan Peele. And I think, I think not Jordan Peele, sorry, not Jordan Peele is one of the most interesting people yes, character-wise in these movies. Because you take, 
you know, I think it's just interesting that you have an African-American man who's working for this evil corporation in a historically black city like Detroit. Yeah. And there's always sort of something unsaid with him where he's on the home team. He wants whatever the evil corp wants. But there's also that part of him that has some bit of humanity that says we're going too far. You know? Right. He's, I mean, one of the, uh, he's got one of the best lines in the film, which is, I've never met anyone who wanted to be a robot. Yeah, right. Exactly. He's, he's sort of our barometer. He's sort of like our moral barometer Mm -hmm. in some senses within the, within the, but he's also, you know, he's a, he's also a yes man and he's embedded Mm -hmm. within this institution. So it's, it's complicated, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. as all, as all good characters in these kind of movies should be. Yeah. Uh, Right. Because it kind of reminds, and and as not every character in this movie is, yeah, frankly. right. Because uh, like, it kind of reminds me of our game. our discussions in the Empire Strikes Back with Piet. Mm. You know. Well, there you go. See, yeah, Irving Kirshner knows how so to write Irvin a black guy. <laughs> he knows how to write a black guy who's on both sides, <laughs> or direct it, I guess. Yeah. Um. I love the cop who's on drugs. Duffy. Uh, yeah, it's um, the the first of many uh, Larry David sitcom actors. Yeah, right. Do you remember? Do you remember the episode he's in of Seinfeld? Do you remember when? God, I can uh, so clearly George... remember his face, but I don't remember his yeah. storyline. George is taking a nap under his desk, and he gets Jerry's hand oh, yes, to build right. him out. Yes, and he comes in. Yeah. About this big? About, no, this, no, about big? this big? Uh, yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I knew it as soon as I saw him. Yeah, it was. That's how vivid it is. Um, Sorry, I was thinking. I, mean, I was try. I was trying to recall from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was. I I, yeah. I went to a different Larry David. I should have been. Well, yeah. that's the great thing about Robocop franchise. You have both. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it needs the extreme science fiction cinema context, but this feels quite countercultural to have a. You know, such a uh, you have this drug addicted, cop, corrupt cop. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a trope of, I guess, seventies and eighties police drama as well. But just this idea that it's kind of normalized, I suppose, that it's just like, yeah, just uh, part, yeah, part yeah, and parcel, just part of what policing is now, right? Um, but it's interesting because, like, when when you get the cops, when you see the cop, the corrupt cop with the gang. All the fear, all the kind of contemporaneous fears about police corruption, juvenile delinquency, and designer drugs are present in, in one, one room. room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you think of that? What do you what What do you think of this uh, nuke, the child murderer? What do I think of the child murderer? Um. I mean, it's extreme for the sake of extreme, right? It's, yeah. It's, right. Which I don't object to in principle. I can't figure out though whether I object. I object more to the caricaturing of of the kid as a villain, right? Or like the the last minute walk back. At it, uh, uh, you know when he's on his deathbed. Deathbed, yeah, him, yeah. They they give him a kind of depth and humanity that you don't see you don't you don't understand how how i don't like yeah i get why i get why they did that but i don't know 
those two things don't sit right together. Mm-hmm. But I don't know which is the right direction to go in. Should they have made him more human when he was alive? Or should they have just cut the idea that he ever showed mm-hmm. any humanity? Like, I'm not quite sure. Probably for this film... Should his last should, words have been, fuck you, rope microwave, I mean, you know? like I kind of would have liked yeah. that more. Yeah, exactly. Right? I kind of would have... <laughs> so, but it's difficult to tell. Like, like, like I like character writing that has dimensions but i kind of feel it's set up as a character who doesn't have dimensions so he purposefully suddenly... yeah right so yeah, to walk it suddenly... back he shouldn't suddenly but then at the same time i'm like yeah but every you know like everyone is human even even the worst character even the broadest caricature is human so shouldn't we at least pay some attention to that mm-hmm. the same thing happens with the gangster's mole right she develops a conscious right close to death so it's a cheat um, for both of them, but I I kind of think I would have been content if they'd have stayed as monstrous in death as they were in life. Okay, yeah, I but think I'm I on your know. side. Maybe maybe the maybe the mole needs that because of the way that she dies. She prob- maybe she needs that last minute. But then all right, yeah, that okay. scene. That's I mean but... we'll get there. But that scene is fucked up altogether. It's like a scene from Cronenberg's Crash at the end of that. Right. I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I mean, it, you know, there's a point when when he when the boy when the kid the murder kid becomes the head of the uh, gang the drug drug company. I don't know yeah. the head of Nuke. It's just Richie Rich, right? It's just, it's just pure. <laughs> sure. It's a purely a cartoon. So, I don't know. I like things about it, but I mean, I'm sure this is sort of like one of the things that one of the brushes that people, you know, tar this film with. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It, I, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like parents groups and everything were up in arms about this kind of representation see but they shouldn't be because this movie's on their side they're saying if you yeah if there's too much violence in a kid's life this is the end result and i yeah absolutely i think so i think it, it, it kind of fits but even though even with the caricaturing they do they walk that back so and i will not quite right i will say this for the movie because he's not all bad, all evil, because th- there's actually that scene with Duffy where they torture him. Hmm. And it's Noonan, who's Kane. Kane turns the boy's yeah. head to make him watch it. Right, right. So right. he is turning away from that. Well, that's it. That's, the, you know, it's the tip of gore argument, isn't it? It's yeah, like right. exposed to violence that's the problem. So, yeah, it is. Maybe it's more conservative than it seems. Dark Evil Kane's going to make him watch. Maybe it's not subversive at all. Um, well, I t- I, I, there are, there's part, part of this scene makes me think, you know, th- this is the, the screenwriters are really thinking with their 30-year-old kid brains, mm-hmm. which is where he gets hooked onto a magnet. Yeah. This is you can imagine. This is that's when like they take them apart. That's a playground conversation about what you would do in a robe when the next Robocop film, isn't it? I'd have him attached to a magnet, and then he get on a metal hook. Yeah, and then you and strap I, him I down, of... and then we can show at least conservatively twelve minutes of him getting drilled, and we'll show yes, from his perspective. Exactly. And... <laughs> and it really, I, that scene really tests our emotional attachment to Robocop. I think. Uh, aside from the fact it's an incredible animatronic, what they come up mm-hmm. with, the, the sort of the dismembered 
uh, Robo. When they drop him off at the precinct? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the first, also, it's the first time we get a sense that Lewis is emotionally attached to RoboCop. We haven't we haven't reintroduced that element yet. She's just a generic female sidekick yeah. before this. Yeah, you're right. Um uh yeah, this is where you have the line shouldn't we have the kid leave? <laughs> yeah, so right. they're they're tackling this issue of mine as being exposed to cinematic violence, right? Mhm. Within a Yeah, it's a smart film. <laughs> as I as I correctly surmised one of the things I couldn't figure out between this movie and the next movie, mm. uh, and I couldn't even find the actor, I don't think, on RoboCop 2's IMDb page, the the short-haired brunette who's sort of in charge of RoboCop, who thinks Omnicorp oh. is doing evil shit. Yeah. Is that supposed to be Jill Hennessy in the next movie? I couldn't figure that out. Dr. Lazarus? Yeah. Which I thought was a joke before I read the credits. <laughs> yeah, I um, so I was looking for the character name. I couldn't find I mean, it. it could be, couldn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, this is where we get Stepford Robocop. Stepford Robocop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, it's, it's, it's sort of like the, I guess the, the satirical element of it is what would Robocop be if he was a, like a he was a, created by focus groups and test screenings. Mm-hmm. You know, ca- a camel designed by committee, you know. And I kind of, I, you know, it's it, because it's sort of like concerns from parent groups, environmentally. Yeah, issues. right. And I think Again, some of this like is a mir- in res- it's a mirror up to the production process because you know right exactly. Like, prob- I bet these are real comments that people put in test screenings. I think and, part of this is in response yeah. to the first RoboCop movie, yeah, and I it's agree. violence and all of that stuff. And so mm-hmm. I like that this movie is leaning into that and parodying it. Yeah, because they even have that boardroom scene at Omnicorp where Fax is saying absolutely oh we can do that too oh i'll add that and then you you see it from robocop's perspective when he comes online and now instead of three prime directives he's got like 289 or something you know yeah it's pretty funny it's yeah it's good it's good satire yeah i like it a lot and uh yeah that meta commentary you know is is very clear as well Mm -hmm. um and i think we discussed this in the ranking episode but i i find that that scene with the rogue little league team pretty delicious it's it's you great know? yeah and uh, you know it's 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 interesting because we're pre la riots and i do wonder like whether this was like the last time it wouldn't be associated with african americans mm-hmm. and i mean it's done very specifically like you know yeah right it's it's and it, throughout the movie as well, it's the sense that the white establishment's the problem. Um, yeah. Which is not something you get in many movies anymore. I, f- I find that scene very interesting because yeah. there's a lot to dive into that, that are, that are that's worth discussion and is unknown. Because the, mm. the coach himself seems quite manic. Yeah. And the kids at times seem both evil and... Regular kids like scams. Yeah, 
you know? Yeah. So to me, it's it's was the coach forcing them? How much did they want this? When yeah. when Lewis is just getting them out of the store, she's like, get out of here. And they're sort of sheepishly like, oh, shucks, we got caught. Meanwhile, yeah. their coach has a bullet in their head, you know, or in his head. It doesn't. It Yeah, it doesn't make. It doesn't a make lick sense of sense. Except as a- Except as a piece of satire, like yeah. it, 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 the, it's the Mad Magazine version of mm-hmm. what's going on, right? And it can, and it, it lands, I think. Yeah, at least I this do one too. Does. But um, uh, I want to ask you this because we've talked before. Um, was it Matt Myra you said that came up with the term restacking? Restacking. Because we get a little bit of that. Because <laughs> I mean, that scene with the coach is, you know. You're not going to do it better than that. Right. And yet we get several scenes after that of sort of RoboCop as yeah, what Lewis would describe as on the fritz. And yeah. and yet there's some stuff I like. I like that guy with the bullets around his head with the head cigarette just dangling from his mouth. And thank you yeah. for not smoking. What do you think about uh, um, RoboCop? Uh attaching himself to the mains Frankenstein himself yeah right what do you think about that well that's the direct correlation I kind of made right but it's also it's strange that to me it's one of the weaker points of the movie because it's agreed (laughs) you know the the movie has not taken enough time because they went for the comedy bits with the smoking and with the, you know, so it's all Still comedy. Agreed. It's all comedy all the time. And so there's not enough time for RoboCap 2, all comedy, all the time. <laughs> there's not enough not time wrong. for the character himself no. to have figured out what it is he needs. You know what I mean? His prime yeah, directives uh, would would so muddle him that I'm not sh- I'm not sure I buy. But it's like the screenplay just needs him to move on. Exactly, that's it, isn't it? And that's what it is. He literally just attaches... Again, it's the 13-year-old kid. Yeah. Like, how does RoboCop get out of this? I don't know, like, he electrocutes himself or something, and it it makes him normal RoboCop again. Um, What's interesting in this scene, again, speaking... Jenkins, you've done it again. (laughs) The strike-breaker element of RoboCop, at least in this film. Yeah. He's completely the opposite in the next film. He's pro-union in the next film. (laughs) Right. Um... Is that like the police abandon their picket to to help him <laughs> to help to help him and they st- you and there's a there's a you get bogs from the Shawshank shots. Redemption helping out yeah there's a there's an inserted shot of them stepping over the picket signs it's like <laughs> I, I know exa- this is what I right. mean about clear perspective I know what this movie thinks about unionization. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is I. I mean, you could argue throughout the film, but this is the part when he has no directives. Um, first of all, that's kind of that's a very conservative idea. Like Robocop's going rogue, essentially, right? He's mm-hmm. it's it's basically saying he's better off when he's self policing. Yeah, right. Which is a dangerous <laughs> line, as we know historically. Since then, what's happened with police? He's better you know, off when the idea. public just trusts him. Yeah. You know what's great is when police have no oversight. That's the best thing that's happened to culture. Um, and then he starts acting. I don't know if it's Peter Weller incorporating it into his acting style, but he, from this point onwards, he's pure 
Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I don't know if this if this is just something that's gradually worked into it, but you know he is. You you could his acting style has completely become the Tin Man at this point. I agree. I mean, that, it, it culminates in the ending, but uh, yes, <laughs> with the with the screwing. But this is where I started to notice in anticipation of that ending that um, that the idea of 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 RoboCop has become very Oz like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked that. Um, the drugs are made in America. I thought that was a good, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and you know, America in this historical moment feels industrially inferior to both uh, the Japanese, but also the drug-producing countries of the world. <laughs> um, and then. You know, breaking the, the, the hold of nuke over the public is see, clearly as simple as blowing up a factory. Well, that makes you wonder you know, why no one had attempted this before. So that's an interesting point. I, you know, I, I got to a point in this movie when they when they have the raid. Mm-hmm. And this feels like the climax of the movie, but it's not because it's like an hour and, you know, five, ten minutes into the movie. It's also it's like that it's it's like that scene. But from it's the set up like a climax, right? It feels like that scene from The Untouchables. You know when they just yes, like yeah. Everyone, everyone knows where the booze is. is Conrad, everyone knows where the booze is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just raid a they raid a factory. But the but you know the the movie also shows the pointlessness of that act, right? The futility of it. it yeah. doesn't get you anywhere. Whereas this really feels like well, I guess that's that's it for Nuke. <laughs> <laughs> I right. Like, no, because really, all it is a social problem that pe- the fact that people want nuke is the thing you need to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> I, but uh, it, you know, this we, is this we, is when the mayor gets his biggest. Oh, I didn't address the fact that I just like the the mayor is is you know it's a cartoon level of acting that I think is just bad acting. Yeah, I <laughs> like yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. The actual character is quite interesting and complex, but it's played in such a... It's played to 11 the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't... It's it doesn't the work. The cartoonishness of the film kind of lets it down as mm-hmm. opposed to makes it better, as it does at other times. Um, speaking of cartoonishness, when that's uh, in the news footage of the seized monies, there are some gold bars in there. Yeah, I know. I saw that. <laughs> So again, not helping the Looney Tunes of it all. <laughs> there's just gold bars stuck in there. I was I I I I was half expecting to see bags with dollar signs on them. Exactly. Well, also, you know, the, when the truck goes through the bar, it seems to be only there to to uh, fabricate the trope of of a car blasting through cardboard boxes. Because <laughs> that's all that happens is that, is that yeah. they go straight into the storeroom through the cardboard boxes. Did you did you think that RoboCop looked slightly comical hanging off that windshield? Not slightly. <laughs> it's not. I was. It's not quite up there with the slapstick of the clang as he hits the pole. Right. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember, and I also remember because they they they're. It, in one point in that chase, there's the <laughs> there's the truck bike face off, right? 
Yes. And yes. it seems it seems as though they're pulling like some Sergio Leone kind of stuff. Like they're borrowing yeah. from, you know, Westerns, no? Definitely. All right. Um one one of one of the comic high points of the movies coming right after this, which is the Sunblock commercial. Passage. Oh yeah, right. Uh not I mean it's brilliantly executed. But also, and this goes back to the Highlander 2, the quickening of it all. Mm-hmm. That early 90s ozone discourse. My God. <laughs> but what's fascinating about that is like, uh, as I understand it, and I'm sure this is simplified, ozone layer has been fixed. It's like the only part of our environmental problems that there's been a solution to. All right. And it seems like, you know, we just we were just complaining about it so much in the early 90s mm-hmm. that scientists had to do something about it. So let's put climate change in all our films. <laughs> Every exactly. science fiction film needs to revolve, revolve around climate change and maybe we'll we'll be able to fix it the way we did the episode. Well, and the, um, kind of going back to what you were saying about the, the comedy of that sunblock commercial, because that that actor so we've seen before, she's. I think she's a a fembot. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes, you're right. She um no, she's a lot of vagina, right? Oh, that's right. No, yes, a lot of vagina. Yeah. Because she looks like Selma Hayek, but she's not. Yeah. I remember having the same thought about that actress and then I thought, when have I thought this again? Oh, a lot of vagina. A lot, of, a vagina. lot of vagina. Yeah. Um Have you ever seen Summer School with Mark no. Harmon? No. She's in that, too. I've seen the inside of a summer school. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, there's something... And that's, again, it just reinforced to me, like, there's something foolproof about those fake ads. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just a good idea. It's just a... Yeah. (laughs) And if, and if, if you know, if you know, like, well, I say foolproof. The, the the Robocop three doesn't get that'll it. prove you wrong. But, yeah, it will prove me wrong. But at least you know when there's when there's competency behind the camera, like it just it, it's just such a great thing to throw in now and again. It's helpful, and it I, fools you. It fools me every time. Yeah, I, I'm a sucker, <laughs> for, a sucker for it. Well, I tell you what. Why uh, don't but, we Why don't we take a second break and then we'll. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're just over halfway through the movie and the villain's been captured, so uh, yeah, exactly. we, we can stop there. <laughs> right. Looks like the movie's over. It should be, but we've got a whole... we got a whole Kane resurrection thing to do. But it's okay, because the seed of a villainous Robocop's been planted for the second act. Done and done, all right. In retrospect. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back to discuss all of this. After this <laughs> wonderful word. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. 
the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Tom and I are back once again, everyone. We're talking RoboCop 2, the 1990 sequel, directed by everybody's favorite middle director, <laughs> Irvin Kershner. The middle child of directors. <laughs> well, uh, we were just about to get uh, Frankenkane, right? Sure, yeah. Well, brain surgery is my next note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ridiculously heightened sound and visual effects. Oh. I mean, we're we, really we, going to get to it but towards the end of this movie. Uh, brain with eyes. Um, <laughs> yes. And in the middle of that, I've got a note about the uh, violin contortionist on TV. <laughs> have you uh, do you know this guy no. you, uh, are you aware of this guy his name is uh yogi bird so you know no, him. not that no not that yogi bird um yeah he's uh well my note here is did robocop predict america's got talent <laughs> That's... yeah and this was before i found out who this guy was and that he was later on america's got talent oh wow you did yourself so, some research. Ear, well, talk about eerie prescience. I mean, yes, that's a that's a complete full circle historically. There. Oh, that's it, amazing! It, it, satirizing satirizing future television also created future television. Oh, I love it. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Um. Uh, yeah. So that will we go from? Obviously, we have a. I mean. I, we probably should try and describe it for people, but there's no there's no way to describe no. it. It's a brain with eyes in a jar. I mean, yeah, that's basically that's all, what happens. That's all I can say. And then, as if that's and not it's, enough, it's exactly what that sounds like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it. You know what it looks like? It looks like. You know, cut off the bodies from the aliens of Mars attacks. Yes. Yes. And that's yes. what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and then, then it goes into Max Head Kane. Yes. So I, this is what I want to talk about. Uh, talk about yeah. just for the audience. Right. Do you think they didn't trust their stop motion? <laughs> I absolutely think that's what happened. <laughs> because. Could they not show us his, it, his it, wants so, and his so needs? I think they're clearly dealing with the best that early 90, uh, that they think that. <laughs> Yeah, That's right. The they have access to <laughs> of early '90s computer-generated graphics, but they they have such little faith in them. They literally have to show them on a television monitor that's right. about as as big as my fist. But what I love is that the television <laughs> monitor is not just always there. Kane K- 
Kate has to choose when to show his face. Yeah. Which to me is what make it turns it into something kind of sublime in its stupidity. At some point, someone said, these graphics only look good on this monitor in this ratio. And the rest of the right. uh, the rest of production had to work with it. <laughs> but on the other hand, um, you know, the the stop motion version of RoboCop two is is very impressive. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because what year is uh, Terminator two ninety one ninety one? So we're a year before um, Terminator two. And this movie is also, in its own way, in limbo between practical yeah. and computer-generated effects. However, based on the denouement of this movie, <laughs> if, if you were asked, was this movie made closer to Terminator or Terminator 2? Right. You would absolutely go Terminator. Yes, right. <laughs> you would never think this yeah. film was... This is kind of be contemporaneous with Terminator Two. It's gotta be like day. just after that, right? Like a, it's a yeah. when was this made? Nineteen eighty five, probably, right? Yeah. Well, in fact, this looks a little earlier than the original Terminator. I'd say <laughs> it was like eighty two, eighty three. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I think uh, <laughs> again, uh, we've talked about the mayor. You know, some of the mayor's limited acting skills, but mm-hmm. there's also a racial incident. Inc- insensitivity here like making him a drug addict i think i didn't th- i don't think they thought that through like there's no narrative reason why he has to become a nuke addict right and they didn't think of like what message that was sending but anyway not is he an addict though this... or well you know i don't know i don't know i didn't like that i, I didn't like the connotations of that all right given that it bears no it doesn't make any difference in in the movie not story-wise um, yeah no. Uh, so we got 30 minutes to go in the movie, and we've got a new RoboCop. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Which, to me, feels like a screenwriting oversight. Agreed. Also that we've not seen RoboCop for a good 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. at this point. Um, which makes me feel like, you know, this is different drafts. Yeah, I was going to say, so this is one of the things where this is a deficiency in the movie that's blatant and hard to, no, not necessarily hard to get over, but, you know, it's. Speaking of effects limitations, I love that the most advanced desktop screen they could imagine in 1990 is now what our computers look like when they're in safe mode. (laughs) (laughs) That's their base light. <laughs> when our computers don't work, that's what they look right. like. Right. Uh, and oh, it wouldn't be early '90s computer-generated graphics without a little bit of morphing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so we right. Get, we get we get the cane face morphing in and out of the of the information. Of the information, right? Or as I put it here, here we go with the morphing. <laughs> Here's another thing that I noticed: Kane's computer face. Looks like the evil kid from Toy Story. You know, the one who tortures all the toys? Yeah, but I i mean, I really, I, I'll give him this. I see Tom Noonan in there. Okay. I do. <laughs> On that tiny monitor. On that tiny, tiny monitor. 
but I think there's like an, an aesthetic of early 90s CGI that kind of crosses genres, mm-hmm. right? It's like, this looks like a scene from Toy Story as well. That's funny. Probably because there's only three people working on it in the whole of America. Mm-hmm. So they're going to come up with the same graphics. And then, so are we right about at the raid? Like... Uh, this is this is where I've got the, the sort of psychosexual uh, machine porn bit where Kane and... Oh. Kane and his former mall, she's sort of getting used to the idea she's... that... But isn't that right before he kills her? Yeah, it's right before he kills her, the sort of Cronenberg. But that's in the middle of the raid. Okay, well, that's where I am now. Yeah, okay. Because the kid Uh, dies, the mayor escapes. She dies, and then the kid dies. She dies as well. Also, you know, Robocop's missing from a lot of this film, and when he does return, all he does is walk around slowly. Yeah. So, I don't know if the. Meanwhile, many other cops are dying. (laughs) <laughs> Many other cops are dying. Yes. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, and junk, this is we junk, talked about. Junk. Like they talked about this is more or less a caricature, and then he gets redemption in his final moments, which I don't know is I don't know if it's death <laughs> or just cheating, mm-hmm. uh, potentially both. Um, and this is where you know they show the scale model of of the regenerated Detroit, which forms the basis of the next movie yes although they definitely and then, didn't know it i mean the all, all the, the next sequel all of a sudden ocp seems to have really leaned into you know germany <laughs> circa world war Two. i mean oh by the time of, of robocop 3 no or i mean here. in this movie towards the okay. end like well, that's born out in the next movie their well. logo is looking like uh swastika and hey, maybe that's the reason they decided to go full Nazi. In the I next think, film. May, I you know, there does seem to be a bridge of connection between the two. Wow! Because the even even the guards at the end of this movie look like the SS. Like okay. I mean, they look, you know. So what you're saying is that these two films are intimately connected. Maybe a little bit more than we'd like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's hard to justify given just because of how disparate they are. Uh-huh. But I do wonder whether whether someone is like going, well, we we seeded this idea, <laughs> right? Let's run with it. Um, it's like a backdoor pilot for the third film. Yeah, right. And then we get RoboCop fighting RoboCop two. Well, and is, you know, I I said it meta, before. You know, the meta dimension of the film is gone. Yeah. Nuts at this point, right? I, I said and, it before, and, and I'll say it again. This brain. is where this is where the movie must have really taken off, because at least for me, because this is what I remember verbatim. Right. You know. I mean, it's also back to that thirteen-year-old kid brain. Mm-hmm. Right. What should happen in this film? Well, Robocop fights Robocop too, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. Kane, let's step outside. Yeah, behave yourselves. Oh. I don't think there's a there are very few lines that I can remember yeah seeing for like hearing for the first time in the movie theater and that's one of them Connell Cochran yelling at two robots behave yourselves is that's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen I thought it was so funny when I first saw it and I was delighted when it came back up 
That's two sequels we've seen where <laughs> Dan O'Hurley has stolen the end yes. of the film. Yes. Surrounded by ro- both times surrounded by robots. By robots. <laughs> but all, but uh, this is very disingenuous idea that he's somehow the moral center of the film. I know, yes. <laughs> it's craziness. Also, Easily I... as much a villain as anyone else. Yes. But did you notice that... Because I have a note here that says, okay, clearly... This the the end of this movie has stepped into Looney Tune style of foley yeah. work. We're <laughs> yes, getting, absolutely. We're getting lots of. Yeah. There. <laughs> I'm glad you're not in charge of Looney Tunes foley work. <laughs> I was just gonna say <laughs> that, that was I... a dissipate. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a dissipating whistle. <laughs> I, I. <laughs> I've never I mean, been a good whistler. Media, but come on. <laughs> I realized I wasn't going to be able to get the pitch I wanted. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Um, but it's that that wily coyote falling. Oh, so much. You you get that a couple of times in this movie. Well, also, here's something I wanted to ask you. How in what in what sense is RoboCop 2 an advanced model? Yeah, he's for... even more squat and waddling than the mm-hmm. original RoboCop, who, let's face it, is known for being squat and waddling. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think about the elevator scene? I mean, I think that's the only time I got a sense that RoboCop Two had moves that RoboCop didn't have. <laughs> I'm trying to even remember what happens. Well, it's just, you know... It's, Maybe I it's don't like, remember it as verbatim as I thought. It's classic elevator in free fall. And it seems like... the, the Oh, yeah, the, right. Kane, Robocop Kane is able to sort of climb up in a way yeah. that Robocop isn't. I mean, it's 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 not a, not a big deal. Uh, but luckily, I kinda... Robocop 2 has a publicity photo of Robocop in his digital archives that he can target <laughs> Robocop with. Right. I like that uh, animation, though. Of RoboCop 2, chick, 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 climbing yeah, up yeah. the elevator shaft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's where the, the, the... That's the only part of the film where I was convinced that RoboCop 2 might be a match for RoboCop. The rest yeah. of the time, eh, not so much. No, maybe not. Um, I've got the same note. Well, uh, maybe we have different ideas about what fascism is, because I've got here the, the police of the cavalry. <laughs> um, which makes OCP the heroes, even though they made they they caused the problem that they're now solving. <laughs> right. <laughs> and anytime they do anything heroic, that it's always in response to a to a villainous action that they've done. That they created the themselves. And here's yeah, like you you I mean you mentioned off mic robot robots, uh, robots and drugs. Yeah. So <laughs> just, they use. I just new... love that he still has his addiction as a robot. Right. And that there's a compartment use... for him to put the drugs in. <laughs> they they designed that, I guess. They did. <laughs> um, well, that's one of your upgrades, isn't it? That's one of your <laughs> right. uh, factory settings. Uh, so they're using Nuke to Nuke Robocop 2 which to me sends mixed messages about drugs, both the cause and the solution to the problem. 
<laughs> the cause of and solution to all yeah. of our problems. Uh, also, I've got the note here that Robo Robocop himself, Robocop OG, doesn't blend well into the stop motion. I mean, he's pretty jerky already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks downright paralyzed in stop motion. <laughs> the, the, I think the point where it becomes... I don't want to speak ill of Phil Tippett, but, you know. I think the point where it becomes kind of sublime is that moment where he's, what's he on, like a trailer? And he sort of mm-hmm. parachute jumps on top of yeah. RoboCop 2. Love it. This is also a moment where, you know, I feel like I could have come up with a better um, way to defeat the villain. Because Other than I don't to know smash his cartoon moment... brain and eyes? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> At a minimum, yes. But... Uh... But I, I assumed that the nuke he was putting inside him was explosive. Oh, I see, yeah. bomb in it. And I don't know whether the film was trying to fake us out to think that, or whether I was just like, well, that's just a better way of doing it, because they're just no, giving because him drugs it was... to distract him. The nuke, but... the nuke they got from them, they got from Omnicorp, it was their nuke, right? Right. So they wouldn't have put a bomb in. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe in the two seconds no, I mean, he had you put it. Something, so yeah. something in the nuke that you're putting in his his drugs de- drugs compartment. His drug dependent compartment that blows him up. I mean, yeah, that's why where I thought this was going all along. But no, it's just give him drugs to distract him so we can get the edge on him. <laughs> well, and also, I I also yeah, I don't think it's a good plan Especially because when he's fueled by drugs. Exactly. I, I kept thinking, no, you don't want him to be on the drugs. Yeah. He might be a Quick better boys. opponent on the drugs. Quick boys, he's got a taste for meat. <laughs> but I'll tell you uh, the the you know, you have that whole battle and he he smashes the brain and eyes and he defeats Kane too. And then you go yeah. to Johnson and, and Connell Cochran and there's a moment where uh, he says, scramble the best spin team we have. And that's where I thought to myself, this movie gets it. It gets yeah. everything it's doing. It understands what it's doing. And this I love that in the next. midst of how dead every like so many people are in this fight between the two RoboCop, RoboCop OG and RoboCop 2. That and did you mention that he walks over the corpse? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And that's, uh, again, that's the visual compliment to what you're saying, right? Yeah. It's the perfect metaphor for this, this uh, culpability that he, that he hasn't, t- hasn't taken. Oh, and then he man. has his Blofeld exit where he gets yeah. into the <laughs> yes, limousine. May as well just. With the girl, which he Like literally gonna... could be doing the hands of Mr. Burns. Right. Who he is then going to sacrifice. Um, yeah, as a domino in his game. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I love that. I, I love that uh, exit. Um, but he also says... Because this movie sh- takes the time at the end in the middle of that fight to show you uh, a lot of civilian deaths. <laughs> yes. People getting just yes. blown away, shot in the back. Here, here's the, to me, the here's the biggest problem with, with RoboCop 2. Not the film, the the robot. The robot, yes. The 
<laughs> what a conversation we're having. <laughs> the movie or the planet? Um, I don't... Right, you... Here's the thing about RoboCop, not the film, the robot. <laughs> yes. I understood the you, first time, sir. You always get the sense that Murphy is inside there. Yeah, right. You never get the sense Kane is inside there until they literally pull his brain out. <laughs> well, and the other thing the other thing is, I mean, how Is much that just of- because they because of that tiny monitor face? What what is it? Why isn't it? Well, I think part of the problem too is Kane before he's RoboCop 2. I mean, what do you see Kane doing other than fleeing a place that RoboCop just came into or giving himself drugs? He's not doing a lot in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) He's the opposite of Kurtwood Smith in the first movie. That's fantastic. Kurtwood Smith is spitting out his own teeth at the front desk of the police force in the first movie. That's good shit. It is good, yeah. I, I, well, there we go. I think, I think we've solved that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I will also add, just because it, 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 it's further evidence that you're correct, and the movie understands what it's doing. When, when Johnson proposes having a ball guy, mm-hmm. who is obviously going to be Fax, uh, <laughs> Dan O'Hill he, he replies, "Yeah, that usually works." <laughs> right. So, um, and again, it's sort of. But like what I a, do like about it, it's in terms... recognizing the Ronnie Cox of it all without mentioning him. It's sort of like, sure, oh, we're gonna pin, we're gonna pin this on a wild card within the organization. So you have That's that last time. part of it. But what I like is the juxtaposition of in the first movie, Ronnie Cox really was an outlier. In this yeah. movie, she's working with him, but <laughs> yes. we're it's still the Closely. same end. Yeah. Yeah. She's but, in the same Japanese bathhouse. Right. But um, what I really like about it in this movie is that the, the, like you have this character arc for Johnson because it's the self-preservation. Yeah. You know, this I have an mm-hmm. idea. There's only one asshole who was a really big asshole. Which and makes me wonder what happened to the old man, like between this and the between next this movie. and the next movie. You think exactly. Johnson just like sold him down the river. I don't know. I wish there was a line that I already Mandela that I don't Mandela affected anyone. Right, because I that spoke to. I don't think they ever to, speak to it in three, do they? No, I know, but in my head, I Mandela affected that they said uh, ev- something like, "Even when the old man was running things, we didn't do this." But mm-hmm. I don't think they do. That's what I would have done. Um, because O'Hurley, I'm I'm looking it up now. He didn't die until 2005, so I'm wondering why he wasn't in that. I mean, maybe he just retired. I mean, we're... good taste. Yeah. <laughs> what would have been great is if he, um, uh, if he was re- his if his surrogate in RoboCop Three was Gavin O'Hurley, his real life son, mm. who was <laughs> right. of course in Never Say Never Again. Of course. And Brad in Superman 3. Nice. Connections, everyone. So, I mean, this is... this is like, Connections, this is you're of... welcome. <laughs> uh, so, now that, like, OCP, like, when when 
the old man says, behave yourselves. He's got the moral authority. And then he throws it football-like to the mayor. <laughs> yes. He gets the moral authority, having not had it for quite a while since he tried to make a deal with drug dealers to yes. save Detroit. Right. But now he has it back for a brief second. So it's this kind of moral football that all the villains of the movie, all the anti-heroes and villains of the movie are kind of passing between them. <laughs> um, but they get, OCP get away with it. And that is a springboard to the final shot of the film, which uh, I imagine is a subject of some controversy for various reasons. <laughs> what do you think about it? I mean, I don't know. It's uh, is, is it just if you is it does it just pale in comparison to the? Uh, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, it it yeah. you know it's funny is because it fine it's, on its own. I don't it, know. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to go for the same thing. Really? Yeah. But they fall short of it. But it you know when you have like a slamming title to junk <laughs> with the metal steel well, sound. I'm not even th- I'm not even there yet. That's another weird choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what but were what, you talking about? I'm t- no, I'm talking about yeah, like the you know he says we're only human as he's yeah okay I th- that's what I thought you were talking about yeah as he he is he is screwing on his own head yeah with a with an actual what do you call those things I don't know socket Turn wrench key? yeah Allen wrench <laughs> I don't know a big socket Allen wrench. wrench yeah socket wrench yeah um. I mean, so, it's yeah, not I mean, that's characteristic you know, it... of this film, right? I mean, doing what we did in the last film, but adding on slapstick and cartoon imagery. Right. So, but that's the thing is, it seems like, <laughs> as has stated before, all comedy all the time. And it feels yeah. like that's the note that they wanted to, to end on. But does it cheapen it a little bit? I don't know. I'm playing devil's advocate here because I don't really have a problem with it, but I can imagine people do. Like I said, I don't think I don't think it has the impact that a Murphy has. Definitely like the, not. You know, but I also am not bothered by it. Okay. All right. So there you have it. That's the final word on that. <laughs> and it's supposed to be ironic, right? I think so. Oh well, of course. Well, the the original ending's not ironic, so that's a big change. It's not like. He goes, Murphy? (laughs) (laughs) Or he goes, Murphy. No, wait, Robocop. No, wait, Murphy. Murphy. Definitely Murphy. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because... That's how it would be written now. I I hadn't (laughs) considered it until you just said that because... Because he's he's his most robot-like. He's the most like the Tin Man in that moment. Yes. And, and yet, we're only human. But the uh, but of course we're going for the joke. So the joke is we're only human, right? <laughs> but why are we going for the joke? Aside but he's essentially that... saying the same thing at the end of both movies. Murphy, yeah, I know. I <laughs> identify as a human. We're only human. Yeah, I you know. But but what? But the last movie believes he is human, and this movie doesn't seem to believe. Yeah, he's that's human. what it. You're right. Yeah, this movie might not be on his side. Because he's socket wrenching his head, <laughs> right? <laughs> while he's saying it. <laughs> okay. My feelings are: it's fun. It speaks. Yeah, to that's the, uh, that's uh, yeah. It speaks I think to it's... the cartoonish cartoonery of the rest of the film. 
but it doesn't land as well as some of the other no, yeah. moments like this, which is not good because it is the last thing in the film, and you really want it to land this not if not equal to the original film, then somewhere in the vicinity. And this is it's really its own thing. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I it's, think it's, it might be a little like a bit gag, closer to the vicinity than you think, but I think it's I think it's a, a joke they thought was way funnier when they were making Okay, yeah, that'll agree. Uh, yeah, that'll agree with. Cuz he really is screwing in that head. Mhm. That's the joke. I know that, I know that's the joke. <laughs> I understand. I get jokes. <laughs> So we're all in agreement that you think it's a joke, I think it's a joke, and we both, I think, think that they thought it was a joke. We're just not sure that we think it's as funny as they thought it was, right? Right, exactly. I don't think we've ever talked about the last five seconds of a movie more. It, it deserves it, I think. <laughs> because every well, time I see it, I think, I think, why did they do that? Why did they end the <laughs> film that way? And I feel I've, I've, I've got... Uh, clarity now. All right. I've got closure, literal closure. But the movie's not quite over yet because Kirshner's director credit has to fly into view. <laughs> like he's Dick fucking Wolf. <laughs> that makes me think that Irving Kirshner really liked that final joke that is like, you know what? I want my name on that joke. <laughs> as soon as that joke's done, bam! I want people to see my name. What we're going to do. <laughs> I'm going to throw my credit at the screen <laughs> and that's what I want it to look like makes me so angry um, now that the film is over you can. Re I'm into credit check by the way go I've spoiled that segue um, now the film <laughs> film's over you can really hear the influences of the Voyage Home soundtrack on Roseman's score Oh, I'll have very, to go back. very present in the, these credits. All right. Backing singers may have been a mistake. <laughs> because Robocop is not Shaft. <laughs> He's not a character from a exploitation film. Oh, that's good um, stuff, though. I don't know if it is good stuff. <laughs> it sounds good when you say it. It specifically says here in my notes it's not good stuff. <laughs> now, I want to... God, there's so much of this. There's so much. I don't think I've ever had as extensive a credit check. All right. Do, so, do you think the font size was specifically for the visually impaired? Because I have never seen such a large print version of end credits in my life. <laughs> Uh, Phil Tippett, obviously, the auteur of stop-motion creature work. Not his mm -hmm. finest hour, but, you know. Not the worst, though. Yeah. We'll get to that next the... time. <laughs> if indeed we've not seen it in the Ewoks films we did. Yeah. Uh, Robo Movement by Moni Yakim, which presumably is the, 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 chore the choreography and the movement work that they did with Peter Weller, but... I don't know. It's such a childlike credit robo movement. Um, now we have the first of two songs. Sorry, the first of two credits that could be Merle Haggard songs. 
The first of which is Micro Research of Houston. <laughs> the computer laboratory provided the effects. So just imagine that being sung by Mel Haggard. Micro Research of Houston. <laughs> There's a credit here for Robocop 2 Wrangler. Yes, I remember seeing that credit. He's a model. Why does he need wrangling? <laughs> is this really the best term for whatever this role is? A Robocop model went to the food truck again. Will you go get it? <laughs> I just get the idea of, like, you know, Robocop's loose again. And yeah. this, this guy comes in with a lasso and just kind of... <laughs> Hog ties him. <laughs> why wrangler why <laughs> um second of two mel haggard songs cinema trucks of texas <laughs> the cinema t- cinema trucks, cinema trucks of, texas. of texas it's in fact that would be a sequel to micro research of houston right the follow-up uh, album and then my final credit check uh there's a song the song on the soundtrack called Robo Salsa. <laughs> which helps my theory that Robocop's gone through some kind of Freddy, Freddy Kruegerfication in pop culture since the advent of the last film. Yeah. Wow. Everybody do the Robo Salsa. It's just like a jerkier version of Salsa. It's the basically. precursor to the Macarena. <laughs> The uh, the machinery, the machinery-ker. <laughs> machinery-ker. <laughs> the ex, the ex-machinery-ker. That was your equivalent of my whistle. <laughs> it certainly dissipated as quickly as yours did, yes. Oh, that's it? That's it, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Unbelievably, that is it. That's like a full page of credit checks. Nice. Yeah. Well, all that's left is for you, the audience, to tell us what you think of RoboCop 2. (laughs) Tell us your your lengthy interpretation of the ending (laughs) of of the ending of the movie. What do you think of those do five seconds? Do you also think it was a joke? <laughs> How good a joke was it? You're going to have to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com to let us know. That's it. RoboCop 2. Next. Oh, boy. RoboCop 3. We got lots to talk about. <laughs> So for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. And when you hear us next time, we will be discussing RoboCop 3. Yes. Say goodbye to them, Tom. RoboCop! RoboCop! (laughs) RoboCop! RoboCop! Next on Soul Train. <laughs> Robocop's the sex machine for all the chips. <laughs> Robocop! <laughs>
Alright everyone, thanks for listening. Oh, what a good time.